Part Two, Chapter Twelve of How I Filmed the War by Geoffrey H. Mallins. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twelve Filming Under Fire. Rain, rain, rain. It was like a dull, dismal December night. Owing to the tramping of hundreds of feet up and down the trenches, they became like a quagmire. We slipped and slid clutching to the sticky clay walls and floundering up to our knees in holes and to make matters worse bosch who knew that this was the time we brought up fresh munitions crumped the fifth avenue as hard as he could one or two shells crashed into the trench on the way up and i had to pass over two working parties by the aid of a candlelight screened searching for and placing the remains of their comrades in sacks good god it's a hellish game and the terror of war gripped one's heartstrings that night. The momentary flash of the exploding shells lighted up the faces of the men with ghastly vividness, some grinding out curses, then groping blindly on. I was glad when the journey was ended, and I turned into a dugout in the village to rest for the night. Next morning a misty, drizzly pall still hung over everything. I wondered how in the world our men were going to attack under such conditions, and tomorrow was the day. I pitied them with all my heart and soul. And then I thought of myself and my own particular job. I couldn't possibly take in such disgusting weather. The result would be an absolute failure. I controlled my feelings and hoped for the best. The time arrived for the general's speech. Reaching the field, I found all the men mustered up. The general had just arrived. I started to film the scenes as they presented themselves to me. Jove! The speech was the most impressive that I had ever heard. I will give it as it was spoken, as near as I can. I do not think that it has been published before. Officers and men of the West Riding Field Company, R.E., and blank battalion, Royal Fusiliers, I hoped yesterday to be able to come and wish you good luck on the first anniversary of the engagement in Gully Ravine. There the Royal Fusiliers took the Turkish fifth line of trenches. Owing to the rain, however, and to the discomfort to which you would have been placed, I postponed my visit until today. I want to tell you something of the situation as it now stands. You are probably aware that we are now taking part in the greatest battle ever fought by British troops. Not only is it of far more importance than any fight since Waterloo, but the numbers engaged far exceed any assembly of troops in former days. The strength of this army, the Fourth Army, under General Sir H. S. Rawlinson, is blank times as large as the force of British troops at Mons when we first came out a year and a half ago. The importance of winning a great victory is so great that nothing has been left undone to ensure success. But the higher commanders know, and I know, that all the best arrangements in the world cannot win battles. Battles are won by infantry, and it is to the battalions like yourself that we look to gain a great victory, equal to the great victory which the Russians have obtained this month. The Germans are shut in all round. On their northern flank they are shut in by the British Navy, on the eastern flank pressed back by the Russians, on the southern flank the Italians are advancing, and this week on the western flank certain divisions of the French and many divisions of the British are determined to break their line and drive them back to their own country. Officers and men of the blank battalion, the Royal Fusiliers, 
you are very fortunate in having this opportunity to add to the high honours already gained by your distinguished regiment not only however are you fighting for your battalion and your regiment you are fighting to maintain against the germans the same high reputation which you have won for the blank division on the gallipoli peninsula more than that you are fighting for your country and also you are fighting for christianity and humanity you are fighting for truth and justice against oppression we are fighting for our liberty against slavery it is now thirty-three years since i was first associated with the royal fusiliers the regiment i have looked up to during all my service as a pattern of smartness and efficiency i have served with you in gibraltar egypt and many stations in india also at aldershot and on the gallipoli peninsula during the past year there is no regiment in the service in which i have had a higher confidence and i hope next week to be able to assemble you again and to congratulate you on the great victory that you are going to win for me as commanding this division and for your country the faces of the men shone with a new light it seemed as if they had seen a sight which other mortals were not allowed to look upon as upright as poplars chests well forward and heads thrown back their souls seemed to speak out of their inflexible determination to win they marched away going to that stretch of land from which many have never returned giving their lives for freedom and the honour of england i turned and gave a parting wave of the hand to a group of officers standing by see you to-night i said at the white city we will drink to the health of the day and with a parting laugh i moved away i found out through h q that some of our fifteen-inch howitzers were in the vicinity so i decided to film them without delay to work them into the story of the battle i discovered their position on my map i reached the battery the state of the ground was indescribable it was more like a sea of mud and standing in the middle of this morass was the giant gun for all the world like a horrible frog squatting on its haunches each time it breathed it belched out flame and smoke with the most unearthly crash that could possibly be produced and with each breath there flew with it a mass of metal and high explosive weighing fourteen hundred pounds scattering death and destruction for hundreds of yards round the point of impact in the german defences so that our boys might find it easier to force their way through i filmed the firing several times from various points of view and when standing only about fifteen yards away the concussion shook the ground like a miniature earthquake on one occasion indeed it lifted my camera and tripod in the air driving it crashing into my chest i had unknowingly placed myself in the danger zone which forms a semicircle on either side of the muzzle when fired the force being at times so great as to tear trees up by the roots and send them crashing to the ground the prospects for the day were certainly bad as one burly lancashire lad said to me the devil was looking after his own but we are going to beat them sir that was the spirit of all the men I met there. I went direct to BHQ to get a full supply of film stock before going to the front line. I wished to get there early to have a final look round and a discussion with the officers. A man I knew was there, looking for all the world like a man down and out. He had a face as long as a fiddle, and several other officers were looking just as glum. You're a cheerful lot, I said. What's up? Anything wrong? yes rather they replied the blank day is postponed for forty-eight hours great scott why i asked 
the weather he answered laconically it's quite impossible for our chaps to go over the top in such sticky stuff they wouldn't stand an earthly as i said before it's doing its best to upset the whole affair i know the men will be awfully disappointed we can hardly hold them back now but there i suppose the commander-in-chief knows best undoubtedly it's a wise decision the weather may break god knows it couldn't be worse at that moment the brigade general came in he was looking quite bright i hear the day has been postponed sir i said is that official yes he said if the weather improves ever such a little it will pay us for waiting and of course it will suit you much better rather i replied it also gives me more time to film the preliminary scenes i shall however keep to my programme and go to the trenches this afternoon i packed all my apparatus together put some bully and biscuits in my bag and started off once more for the trenches i admit that on the journey thoughts crept into my mind and i wondered whether i should return outwardly i was merry and bright but inwardly well i admit i felt a bit nervous and yet i had an instinctive feeling that all would be well that i need not worry such is the complex mystery of the human mind battling within itself against its own knowledge its own decisions its own instincts and yet there is a predominating force which seems to shuffle itself out of the midst of that chaotic state of mind and holds itself up as a beacon light saying follow me believe in me let me guide you and all will be well and it is the man who allows himself to be guided by that mysterious something which for the want of a better name we may call instinct who benefits both spiritually and materially by it the usual big gun duel was proceeding with its usual intensity but we were putting over about fifty shells to the hun's one crump fell both ahead and behind me compelling me as before to fall flat upon the ground i reached the fifth avenue the trench was full of men taking down munitions the news of the postponement had by some means reached them they were also looking rather glum ye gods i thought it's very nearly worth while to risk walking along the top in places there was quite two feet of mud and water to wallow through fritz is crumping down the bottom of the avenue sir said a tommy to me just caught several of our lads dirty blighters right in the trench sir thanks i replied thinking there might be an opportunity of getting some scenes of shell bursts i hurried on as fast as conditions would permit with men coming up and myself and others going down with full packs on it was most difficult to squeeze past each other at times it was impossible so climbing up onto the parapet i crawled into another traverse further along just then another shell burst lower down but well away from the trench hurting no one i eventually reached the white city without mishap and was greeted enthusiastically by the officers present what's the program now i'm waiting for the final kick-off i said are you going to give me a good show and don't forget i said hold back some of your bayonet work on fritz until i get there with my machine but you're not coming after us with that affair are you yes certainly bet your life i shan't be far behind as soon as you get into the bosch trenches i shall be there so don't forget get there from the corner someone shouted tell brother fritz if he gets out of the limits won't you this remark caused much laughter where have you heard that term used i inquired limits is a technical term yes i heard it used once a year or two ago i was staying at a small place called staining near brighton 
a film company was taking scenes in the village and on the downs they had about two hundred horsemen and an immense crowd and were rehearsing a scene for what i was told was a representation of the battle of worcester it was some fight the cameraman was continually shouting out to them to keep in the limits i assumed he meant the angle of view as i say it was some fight everything went well until a section of the men who were supposed to run away got a few genuine knocks on the head and wishing to get their own back they continued fighting it was the funniest thing in the world of course the camera was stopped and the scene retaken that's extraordinary i replied do you know that i was the chap who filmed that scene it was for a film play called king charles it's very peculiar how one meets i remember that incident quite well i again filmed various scenes of the germans strafing our lines our guns as usual were crashing out they were pouring concentrated fire on the hawthorne redoubt a stronghold of the germans and thinking it would yield an excellent picture i made my way to a point of vantage whence i could get an unobstructed field of view there was only one place and that was a point directly opposite to get there it was necessary to cross a sunken road about twenty-five feet wide but it was under continual fire from german machine guns and being broad daylight it was absolutely asking for trouble thick and unadulterated to attempt to cross it i was advised not to do so and i admit i ought to have taken the advice anyway the opportunity of getting such a fine scene of a barrage of fire was too strong and for once my cautionary instincts were at fault to reach the sunken road was comparatively easy you had only to walk along our front-line trench and fall down flat on the ground when a german shell burst near you then proceed i reached the junction where the road ran across at right angles and from the shelter of our parapet the road looked the quietest place on earth it appeared easy enough to me to jump up quickly run across and drop on the further side in our trench ridiculously easy i'm going across i said to my man when i'm over i'll throw a cord across for you to tie my tripod onto then I'll pull it across. It will save you attempting it. I tied the camera on my shoulders so as to have my arms quite free. I was now ready. The firing was renewed with redoubled vigor. Shells, I could see, were falling on the Hun lines like hailstones. Jove, I said to myself, I shall miss it. Here goes. Clambering up to the road level, I sprawled out flat and lay perfectly still for a few seconds, with my heart jumping like a steam engine. Nothing happened. I gradually drew up my leg, dug the toe of my boot in the ground, and pushed myself forward bit by bit. So far, so good. I was halfway across. I was congratulating myself on my easy task. What in the world am I lying here for, I asked myself. Why shouldn't I run the remaining distance? And suiting the action to the word, I got up and found trouble. I had barely raised myself to my hands and knees when, with a rattle and a rush, a stream of bullets came swishing by, some striking the ground on my left about nine feet away. I took the whole situation in in a flash. To lie there was almost certain death. To stand up was worse. To go back was as bad as going forward. What happened afterwards, I don't know. I could hear the bullets whizzing by my head with an ugly hiss. The next moment, with a jump and a spring, I landed headfirst in the trench on the opposite side. For the moment I did not know whether I was hit or not. I unstrapped my camera to see if it had caught any bullets, but thank heaven they had cleared it. Some of our men were standing looking aghast at me, and wondering what the devil it was that had made such a sudden dive into their midst. The look on their faces was just too funny for words. 
I had to roar with laughter, and realizing that I was safe, they also joined in. But I was not out of the wood yet, for Brother Fritz immediately turned whiz-bangs onto us. Bang! Bang! They came. Everyone scampered for cover. Needless to say, I did so too. Five minutes went by. All the time these souvenirs dropped around us, but luckily none of them got any direct hits on our trench. I thought I would wait another five minutes to see if Bosch would seize fire, but not he. He was rather cross about my crossing the road safely. Time went by. Still the firing continued. I decided to risk throwing the cord and pulling over my tripod. Keeping low, I yelled to my man. He, like a sage, had also taken cover, but hearing my shouts came out. The rope is coming, I yelled. Tug it as a signal when you have it. Right, came the reply. Three times I threw it before I received the welcome tug at the other end. Then a voice shouted, Pull away, sir! I pulled. I had to do it gently, otherwise the broken nature of the ground might damage the head. At last it was safely over, but Bosch had seen something moving across. Then he turned his typewriter on again. More bullets flew by, but with the exception of one which struck the metal revolving top and sliced out a piece as evenly as if it had been done by machine, no harm was caused. I bade one of the men shoulder my tripod. We rushed up the trench as fast as possible, and I thanked heaven for my escape. When I reached the section where I judged it best to fit up my camera, I gently peeped over the parapet. What a sight! Never in my life had I seen such a hurricane of fire. It was inconceivable that any living thing could exist anywhere near it. The shells were coming over so fast and furious that it seemed as if they must be touching each other on their journey through the air. To get my camera up was the work of a few seconds. I had no time to put any covering material over it. The risk had to be run. The picture was worth it. Up went my camera well above the parapet, and quickly sighting my object I started to expose. Swinging the machine first one way, then the other, I turned the handle continuously. Pieces of shell were flying and ripping past close overhead. They seemed to get nearer every time. Whether they were splinters from the bursting shells or bullets from machine guns, I could not tell. But it got so hot at last that I judged it wise to take cover. I had exposed sufficient film for my purpose, so quickly unscrewing the camera, my man taking the tripod, I hurried into a dugout for cover. Jove, I thought, mopping the perspiration from my head, quite near enough to be healthy. Although the men were all taking cover, they were as happy as crickets over this strafe. There is nothing a Tommy likes more than to see our artillery plastering Bosch trenches into Potsdam. Well, what's the next move, I was asked. Trench mortars, I said. Both flying pigs and plum puddings ought to make topping scenes. Yes, the captain said. They are in action this afternoon, and I am in charge of HTM. I'll give you a good show. I have only one pit available, as Fritz dropped a crump in the other yesterday and blew the whole show to smithereens. My sergeant was sitting smoking at the time, and when she blew up it lifted him clean out of the trench, without even so much as scratching him. He turned round to me and cursed Bosch for spoiling his smoke. He's promised to get his own back on Brother Fritz. Bet your life he will, too. He had hardly ceased speaking when our dugout shook as if a mine had gone up close by. I tumbled out, followed by the others. Lumps of earth fell on our heads. I certainly thought the roof was coming in on us. Getting into the trench, the bombardment was still going strong, 
and looking on my left I saw a dense cloud of smoke in our own firing trench. "'What in the world's up?' I inquired of a man close by. "'Dunno, sir,' he said. "'I believe it's a Bosch mine. It made enough fuss to be one, yet it seems in such an extraordinary position.' "'How about getting round to have a look at it?' I said to Blank. "'Right-o,' he said. "'But you know we can't cross the road there. "'I think if we back well down about one hundred yards "'we may nip across into Number Two Avenue. "'That'll bring us out near Jacob's Ladder.' "'Lead on,' I said. "'I wish I had known. "'I came in across the road there,' "'pointing down our firing trench. "'You've got more pluck than I have,' he said. "'You can congratulate yourself that you are alive. "'Anyway, come on.' Eventually I reached Jacob's ladder and asked an officer what had happened. I don't know, he said, but whatever it was, it smashed our front trench for about eighty yards. It's absolutely impassable. Another officer came running up at that moment. I say, he said, there's a scene up there for you. A trench mortar gun had a premature burst and exploded all the munition in the pit, blew the whole lot, men and all, to pieces. It's made a crater thirty yards across. It's a beastly wreck can't use that section of the front line. And to make matters worse, Fritz is pumping over tear shells. Everybody is tickled to death with the fumes. Don't cheer me up, will you, I remarked. I'm going to film the trench mortar this afternoon, both the HTM and the two-inch G. I can thank my lucky stars I didn't decide to do them earlier. Anyway, here goes. The light is getting rather poor. The officer with whom I was talking kindly offered to guide me to the spot. Crumps were still falling, and so was the rain. We'll go through Lanwick Street, then bear to the left, and don't forget to keep your head down. There are two things I detest more than anything else in the trenches. They are whiz-bangs and rats. The latter got mixed up in my feet as I was walking through the trench, and one, more impudent than the rest, when I crouched down to avoid a burst, jumped onto my back and sprang away into the mud. We will turn back and go by way of White City, then up King Street, it may be cooler there. It certainly was not healthy in this neighborhood. Turning back, I bade my man follow close behind. Entering the main trench, I hurried along, and was quite near the King Street turning when a Hun crump came tearing overhead. I yelled out to my man to take cover, and crushed into the entrance of a dugout myself. In doing so, I upset a canteen of tea over a bucket fire which one of our lads was preparing to drink. His remarks were drowned in the explosion of the shell, which landed barely twenty-five feet away. Now then, I called to my man, run for it into King Street, and I got there just in time to crouch down and escape another crump, which came hurtling over. In a flash I knew it was coming very near. I crouched lower. It burst with a sickening sound. It seemed just overhead. Dirt and rubble poured over me as I lay there. I rushed to the corner to see where it had struck. It had landed only twelve feet from the dugout entrance which I had left only a few seconds before, and it had killed the two men whom I had crushed against, and for the loss of whose tea I was responsible. It was not the time or place to hang about, so I hurried to the trench-mortar pit to finish my scenes whilst daylight lasted. I met the officer in charge of the TM. "'Keep your head down!' he shouted as I turned round to traverse. Our parapet has been practically wiped out, and there is a sniper in the far corner of the village. He has been dropping his pellets into my show all day, and Fritz has been splashing me with his minis to try and find my gun, but he will never get it. And just look at the mess around. I was looking, 
it would have beaten the finest indian scout to try and distinguish the trench from the debris and honeycomb of shell holes where the deuce is your outfit i said looking round you follow me but don't show an inch of head above look out bang came a pipsqueak it struck and burst about five yards in front of us brother fritz is confoundedly inconsiderate he said he seems to want all the earth to himself come on we'll get there this time and run for it after clambering crawling running and jumping we reached a hole in the ground into which the head and shoulders of a man were just disappearing this is my abode of love said my guide how do you like it i looked down and at the depth of about twelve feet was a trench mortar the hole itself was of course boarded round with timber and was about seven feet square there was a gallery leading back under our parapet for the distance of about eighty feet and in this were stored the bombs the men also sheltered there i let myself down with my camera and threaded by the numerous plum puddings lying there i fixed my camera up and awaited the order for the men to commence firing are you ready came a voice from above right sir replied the sergeant i began exposing my film fire the t m officer shouted down fire they did and the concussion nearly knocked me head over heels i was quite unprepared for such a back blast before they fired again i got a man to hold down the front leg of my tripod the gun was recharged the order to fire was given the lanyard was pulled but no explosion hullo another misfire was the polite remark of the sergeant those fuses are giving us more trouble than enough another detonator was put on everything was ready again another tug was given again no explosion remembering the happenings of the morning in another pit when a premature burst occurred i felt anything but comfortable sitting in the middle of about one hundred trench mortar bombs visions of the whole show going up came to me another detonator was put in fire came the order again it failed look here sergeant i said if that bally thing happens again i'm off the blessed thing has never been so bad before sir let's have one more try still another detonator was put in i began turning the handle of my camera this time it was successful that's all i want i said i'm off hand me up my camera and with due respect to your gun i said to the t m officer you might cease fire until i'm about fifty yards away i don't mind risking brother fritz's strafe but i do object to the possibility of being scattered to the four winds of heaven by our own shells and with a laugh and good wishes i left him i say he called out come into my dugout to-night will you it's just in front of fifth avenue i shall be there in about half an hour i have got to give fritz a few more souvenirs to go on with there is a little more wire left over there and the c o wants it all strafed away do come won't you so long see you later keep your head down right o i said with a laugh physician heal thyself a little higher and you might as well be sitting on the parapet he turned round sharply then dropped on his knees strafe that bally parapet i forgot all about it fire he yelled and i laughed at the pleasure he was getting out of blowing up fritz I scrambled and slithered back into the recognized trench again, and on my way back filmed the HTM, or Flying Pig, in action. By this time it was getting rather dull, so going to a dugout I dropped my apparatus and had another final look at the position from which I was going to film the great attack in the morning. End of Part 2 Chapter 12